I kind of had this frame of mind of like, I don't need to create new VR. I just need to figure out how we incorporate what's out there into instructional models. And so that was one of the reasons I designed my dissertation the way I did was, okay, let's just find things that any teacher would be able to use if headsets show up in their class. And we'll figure out ways that can be used in a classroom. Now, I think that's not quite true, that the design of the media, the tasks that learners are engaged in while they're in it, the purpose of how it was designed really matters. Welcome to Schools of the Future, where we talk to education innovators about better approaches to learning. Today, we're honored to have Dr. Eileen McGivney as our guest. Eileen is an incoming assistant professor at Northeastern University, where she'll be studying and teaching about new media. Just a few weeks before the recording of this episode, Eileen successfully defended her PhD dissertation at Harvard University. Her dissertation focused on VR field trips. I don't know about you, but when I hear that term VR field trips, I immediately think about Ms. Frizzle and the Magic School Bus. And that's actually kind of how these things worked. Eileen and a local Boston engineering teacher at a public high school designed a three-month curriculum that took students through a variety of VR experiences, but then also interspersed those with classroom instruction, discussions, assignments, etc. So kind of like Ms. Frizzle, people would learn about something and then they would just dive in, go into that world and experience it. On a personal note, I will add that Eileen was a teaching fellow for Chris Deedy's education systems design class at Harvard. And that's where Gleb, Lydia and I met her. And so we all wanted to be on this episode together. And so that's why there's three hosts and one interviewee. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Dr. Eileen McGivney. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us. We are really looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about how you developed your interest in VR? So I had been working in research on education technologies for a few years. So before I started my PhD, I worked at Brookings in Washington, D.C. And before that, I was at a think tank in Istanbul, Turkey. And I'd always had kind of an interest in the impact of technology on society. And so when I started working in education policy, that became one of the areas I was really interested in. And at Brookings, we were looking at programs and policies all over the world, how people were using technologies to innovate. And really, we were interested in this question of how can innovation change the teaching and learning model, knowing that schools themselves have a lot of structures that are relics of the past, and they're not really organized around how people learn. And so one piece of that was really looking at what people were doing with technologies. And I just had a lot of questions about how do you use technologies in ways that are culturally responsive? How can technologies be used in different contexts? And then this broader question of how they, they might help us actually innovate the teaching and learning model within schools and bring in a lot of the types of experiences that you don't typically have in a school. The first time I tried VR, I... I actually can't remember which experience was first, but around the same time I tried two VR experiences. One was a museum exhibit called The Enemy at the MIT Museum, where a journalist had interviewed people on two sides of different conflicts and done actually, you know, kind of a full body capture of those different people. And so you were standing in a room with people telling their stories about their different sides from Israel and Palestine, the gangs in El Salvador the two different sides in Congo region. And then 
they were measuring your own heart rate and things like that. And so at the end, they could tell you who you kind of empathize with the most and who you were kind of like on the other side from. And that really kind of blew me away in terms of thinking about a lot of these questions about how do we teach about other cultures and other people. And, you know, I also had a million questions about like who creates these experiences. And at the same time, I tried this 360 video experience called Nomads, where you're kind of dropped into different nomadic groups and you observe their lifestyles. So one is a group of nomads who lives on the water. Another is the Maasai tribe in Kenya. And in the Kenya experience, you're in the middle of this tribe and they're conducting a ceremony. And at one point I was in the middle of this like circle of men and I was really uncomfortable and I really felt that they were in my space. And I had a lot of questions there too about, again, like who's creating these experiences and then how do our identities and how we're socialized affect how we experience them, which these were all questions that I had been asking before about online courses or maker spaces. But VR, it just felt so much more extreme. And so I kind of got interested in VR because it just seemed like the most intense medium to study a lot of these questions that I had. And so I definitely came at it from both in kind of excitement around what the technology could do, but also a very heavy dose of skepticism about if we don't design these things the right way, and if we don't use them in the right way, then they could actually be harmful. And so what I went on to study were a lot of these questions around the affective dimensions of learning. So whether experiences in VR can help people kind of feel more confident and efficacious about their own performance, whether they can motivate them to want to do things, whether they can kind of give them the sense of agency and all of that being around the fact that they can bring contexts into classrooms that are difficult to have and kind of bring that kind of experiential learning into a school rather than thinking about how we take learning outside the school. Okay. Uh, Dr. Mabivni, for our listeners who may not necessarily know what VR is. Can you please define VR? So virtual reality, when I'm talking about that, I'm typically talking about a head-mounted display. So this is like the Oculus Quest or the HoloLens or something where it's basically a computer you put on your face. And because it's on your face and the screen is in front of you, it responds to your head and body movements. And so you can feel like you're actually walking around a scene because instead of watching it from the outside, like we're doing right now on a laptop, you're actually surrounded in that first person perspective. And there's kind of a spectrum of virtuality, which there's a really nice report I worked on last year that has a really good graphic of this called An Introduction to Learning in the Metaverse. I can share that to share with the podcast as well. So VR is kind of on one end of the spectrum of virtuality when it comes to technologies where the experience is entirely virtual. So you're surrounded completely by a virtual world. On the other end is maybe augmented reality where you're using a phone like to play Pokemon Go or to look at what a chair would look like in your living room. We have a lot of AR applications now that we can use. And so what you're doing is you're getting digital information that's kind of overlaid on the physical world. So it still is kind of a type of virtual reality or immersive technology because, again, you're interacting with the medium from that first-person perspective. It's in three dimensions around you. And you can do these also on a head-mounted display too, so that you're not holding your phone, but 
Typically, I think it's with a phone. And then in the middle is mixed reality, where you're also still interacting with virtual and physical objects, but those objects can interact with each other a little bit more than in augmented reality. Instead of just being overlaid on top, you can kind of blend the physical and the digital world. And that is typically done with something like the Microsoft Hollow Lens. Just kind of to give us the big picture overview of how VR may be applied in various educational environments. What are some of the successful or potential use cases that you are thinking about as an educator and as someone who also knows this space? Yeah, so virtual reality has specific affordances that I think can be really powerful in education. And some of them that I think that have been explored the most are around visualization, right? So within science education and math education especially, we rely on abstract concepts and abstract representations in those education contexts, right? So something like trying to understand exponential functions or trying to understand the, you know, makeup of a molecule or things that are invisible to the human eye, like electrical currents and how circuits work. And I think a lot of both AR and VR technologies have been used in really successful ways to help people visualize abstract concepts or to make invisible things visible. This can also be change over time, looking at the changes that have occurred to coral reefs, things like that. So I see a lot of applications in science education and also starting to see more in math education. I think the other types of affordances have to do with transporting people to different places. And so that is a little bit more in line with what I worked on in, in my dissertation in terms of virtual reality field trips. But I see a lot of potential also for history and social studies education or even language arts in terms of like putting people in scenes and settings or transporting them to different places and times. And so actually being able to not only look at pictures of, you know, the Roman ruins, I think this is like the classic one everyone talks about is like, you know, being in ancient Greece or ancient Rome or something, but being able to actually surround yourself in that environment. And you can actually reconstruct a scene as best we know about how people were moving and dressed and what it looked like and even what the art and buildings looked like before they were destroyed. And I think that a lot of that potential will come from once we get beyond observing those environments, but allowing young people to actually kind of interact in them as well. I think the National Geographic Machu Picchu experience is very interesting because you learn about the structures, like you're at Machu Picchu, but then you have to actually like reconstruct the beams on the house to learn a little bit about how they were constructed and those types of things. So I think that those are really interesting applications. I think the other area where we're going to see a lot going into the future is around creation and art. So actually creating in three dimensions and using virtual reality to create is a really exciting kind of future. And I think that's where we can see how do we create things that have never been done before. So not just recreating the past or trying to visualize something that was in front of us, but actually helping young people simulate their own kind of ideas about the future or create their own art and create their own virtual worlds. And so I'm seeing a lot of tools come out that are lowering the barriers to being VR creators 
And I think that those are also really exciting, both from a perspective of opening up the careers in these technology fields to more young people, but also just in terms of giving more people the opportunity to create media. So we don't have, you know, I mentioned how one of my burning questions always is who's making the technology and how is it kind of representing people and cultures and the world? And so the more people we have creating, the more inclusive those worlds will be as well. So I think that those are some of the things I think a lot about. And then I think there's just some kind of basic features of the technology in terms of making game-based learning environments is a really big area of interest. So, you know, we know that games can be really powerful learning environments. And so how do we create new learning environments? And then I guess the last one would be around novel kind of social interactions. So... How do we help learners kind of engage with each other in new ways? Even if they're in the same classroom, once you put them in a virtual world, they're navigating a problem together, you know, being transported inside the human body to learn and kind of having to accomplish things together. So I think there's a lot of applications there, too, for the future in terms of like helping people interact in new ways, too. So those are some of the things I think that are good applications of the technology. It's exciting that a lot of those are really bringing in real life learning or more like a situated learning experience because Christidi, your dissertation advisor and our professor would always talk about how so often ed tech is used to put old wine in new bottles. So you use the same old pedagogy, but now you do it online or you do it in VR, right? But it sounds like all of those examples were really giving people experiences they wouldn't have to learn by doing. You spoke earlier about there's still a lot of things that we don't know about VR and its impact. And you have a lot of questions at the beginning of your PhD journey about VR. So we're just wondering, what's the current state of research in VR? And what do we know was established? And what do we get to find out? And, and your future interest of researching VR? Yeah, so there has been a lot of research done on learning in VR, but most of it has kind of taken a method of comparing, you know, if you use an application in a VR headset, let's say, and you use that same application on a desktop computer, what's the difference in the learning outcomes? And we've learned a lot that way in terms of especially, I'd say, some of the more advanced research done around that in education has to do with cognitive load and the cognitive theory of multimedia learning. So really looking at how VR can be a really overstimulating environment and how the types of learning outcomes you get from VR are a bit different than maybe the learning outcomes you're getting from a two-dimensional experience because of the way we process information. And so if it's something like you're trying to help people by watching a video and reading text at the same time, actually two-dimensional might be better for that. And so there's a lot of advancements in terms of that side. But I would say that that kind of research still is a pretty limited and it's asking a very limited question because a lot of the work doesn't really dive into what is the learner doing in the VR experience. And so it's a lot of those questions around the process of learning in VR beyond just looking at the outcomes that I think that there's still a lot of questions around that. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can draw on research from learning with other technologies. We can draw on research on learning in general about, you know, how people engage in learning experiences and the processes that they're going through and then what we anticipate they're going to be learning from that. And I think a lot of the potential for learning with these technologies hasn't been explored yet for a couple of reasons. One is developing the experiences 
that can help us test out what it's like to use your whole body versus part of your body. And at what point you're engaging in an embodied experience versus feeling surrounded by a really impressive environment. Like what are the benefits of learning for those different types of experiences within the technology? comparing a lot of those things. So I think we need a lot more testing there. Things like asking about what role does agency play in learning? When I'm talking about agency, I'm talking about control over your learning experience or control over your actions and body. So I think we have a lot of questions around that. I think the other thing, we do see that VR is a medium that really engages the affective dimensions of learning, meaning emotions, motivation, those types of processes within learning. And those are things that have been studied in limited ways. So, for example, if you're looking at learning in VR versus on a desktop, studies pretty consistently find that learners enjoy the VR experience more. And that enjoyment or intrinsic motivation for that experience is higher. I still have questions about how does that translate to things like somebody's self-efficacy, their belief that they can actually do this in the real world. Does that transfer to context? You know, so if you use a VR experience that's helping you explore applications of science in Antarctica, then when you go back to learn in the classroom, are you more excited and more motivated to also pursue that kind of scientific work or to understand scientific inquiry in other contexts? Like, I still think that there's a lot to learn there. I think there's potential, but we find pretty mixed findings around this. And I think that one of the reasons the findings are mixed is that we focus too much on the hardware and we haven't explored as much about what are the particularities of the experiences and also the populations using that. So if you have a really low level of motivation to learn math and then you use a VR experience, does that kind of increase for the learners who have lower motivation? Or is it more for people who are already very motivated, helps them deepen those interests, that kind of thing. So again, it comes back to who the learner is, how you're designing the experience, how you're using it. And I would say the last thing that we're just starting to really understand because the technology has gotten easier to use is how does the classroom environment and the activities you do around the technology affect learning as well? So it's not just about what you're doing while you have a headset on. But it's also about how learners are primed before and what they engage in after. And things like the social context of the classroom. How do we incorporate this into instructional models within whatever the learning environment is? And again, that can be a workforce development program or a corporate training model. It can be a classroom environment. It can be an informal learning space like a library. And I think that we have a lot more experimenting to do around that because we just haven't gotten these technologies into classrooms in a way that we can observe them until now. Right. I'll probably ask the hardest question to me. So can you describe what you studied in your dissertation in brief? Mm. Okay. I can try. (laughs) You're right. That is the hardest question. Yeah. So for my dissertation, and I think it's actually a bit easier now that I've already kind of shared a lot of what I think about VR and its potential. But I have a lot of questions around these ideas about how VR technologies make learners feel, whether they can help them feel motivated, whether they can increase their sense of agency, and then how that all kind of plays into the learning process. And I would say a lot of my work is all kind of grounded in this situated learning theory. So the idea that Learning isn't this kind of very bounded experience where you're sitting in a classroom getting decontextualized knowledge, 
but that actually we're learning all the time and that we learn best when we're learning through experiences and progressively becoming more and more skilled and learning in community as well. So it's about the environment and the actions that you're taking. And so because I had a lot of questions about this and the way VR can or or cannot support that kind of learning, what I did was I worked with high school engineering classes within the STEM education field and worked with a high school teacher to design lessons using VR field trips. So asking this question about if we use these really rich environments where learners are getting a sense of the work of scientists in extreme environments in these kind of field trips that you can't take in real life, how are they learning? What are they learning through that? How does it help them understand kind of the practices of scientists there? And then a bit more about the processes. So I asked a lot of questions about their sense of agency, their motivation to learn, their kind of STEM identity. So I feel like a science person. I feel like I can engage in the practices of scientists. And then also their kind of direct emotional reactions, because emotions actually play a big role in cognition and learning as well. And so what I found in terms of learning was that the VR experiences helped give students kind of a window into the practices of scientists. And a lot of what they learned the most about was about the complexity of the environments. And I was able to learn this mostly through class discussions, small group discussions that they engaged in. So also playing around with different activities that students use before and after they use the VR because we did these lessons spread out over time. So it was over three months, they did four VR field trips. And so a lot of what students talked about that they were learning had to do with, wow, you know, the International Space Station is actually very complex and it looks different and it's shaped really differently. And then being able to feel like they were in zero gravity added something to like, oh, wow, like how do scientists actually get trained to be able to do all the work that they're doing? They're growing plants and studying those. They're doing spacewalks. They're repairing equipment on the ISS. They're running experiments. And at the same time, you can't actually turn off zero gravity. And you're in this really kind of cramped space and you're very isolated. It gave them a lot of interesting questions around that. The other environment we did was Antarctica. So you're in this extreme weather and like, how are you actually getting your work done? And what are they taking from that? And how are they trained? And then they're engineers. So they wanted to know a lot about the tools that they use. So jetpacks or the fact that it's too cold to use electronics in Antarctica or that the modes of transportation are still very limited. It's not like there's roads and cars and things like that. So that was a lot of what they learned, which was interesting. And it also confirmed prior research. I talked a little bit about how VR can be very overstimulating, can be a very difficult environment to remember facts. So the types of things you learn really well from a book or a lecture, it can be difficult to learn those things in VR because you're channeling a lot of different stimulus at the same time. And so I found similarly that they might have been kind of struggling with that too. They couldn't really remember the names of animals or things like that, or the specific names of equipment. So they had difficulty with that. But what they were taking from it was this kind of understanding of the complexity and a lot of curiosities around the work that the scientists do in these environments. So that was one area. The other things that I explored were, again, around students' sense of agency and really comparing different types of media. So I mentioned before, we haven't done a lot of research yet that looks beyond just a headset versus a different technology. What are the learners doing in there? So what I did was compare 360-degree videos, which is like a filmed environment where you're watching people, you're 
kind of shadowing an explorer in Antarctica or you're observing the astronauts on the ISS. I compared that to experiences where you're more actively kind of in a video game environment. So you're actually like on the ISS completing missions. You're kayaking through Antarctica searching for penguins. You know, and what I found is that both of those types of experiences can give learners a sense of agency. Because even though in in the VR world, people don't think of video necessarily as true VR, because you're not using your body and it's not like highly interactive, you're still interacting by being able to look where you want to and by actually feeling like you're moving in the environment, like the camera moving as your body makes you feel like you're moving too. And so they still had a sense of agency over those learning experiences. They just didn't feel as much agency over their actions, which they did in the more video game-like environment. So that was a really interesting finding too, that this idea of agency is multidimensional. It's not just one thing. And its association with interactivity is really kind of complex. And then my last set of findings really had to do with the incredible impact that this had on students' emotions. So they primarily talked about emotions like awe, which is really important in the scientific process. That's been identified as a really kind of fundamental epistemic emotion within science is the sense of feeling like awe and wonder at the environment, of feeling small within nature. That was really interesting. And that kind of highlighted and confirmed other research that's been done on VR outside of education contexts. They talked a lot about fear. So especially in the really embodied sense that, you know, feeling like what was happening to the virtual body would happen to their physical body too. I'm curious to learn a little more in the future about whether that type of fear is productive for learning or not. It certainly was productive for feeling embodied in the experience. They also had a lot of curiosity. So most of what they talked about learning was in terms of questions that they had and things that they were leaving with really wondering, like, why is the ISS shaped the way it is? Why are people making this incredible journey to Antarctica to conduct this research? You know, how do you get trained to do these things? And then finally, enjoyment, intrinsic motivation. I defined intrinsic motivation in terms of their enjoyment of the experience itself. So asking things like, while I was using this VR application, I was thinking about how much fun I was having. And they certainly really enjoyed the experiences too. And that went across the board in terms of both the more video game-like experiences and the videos too. So what I didn't find was much of a change in their kind of more general STEM motivation. And I have a lot of ideas about that. And that kind of does contradict other studies. But I think, again, it comes back to who the population is, what's the purpose of the experience itself, and then what are we really measuring? So, you know, intrinsic motivation to me is kind of in between emotions and, you know, motivation. And so it depends on whether you're asking about how they feel in the moment or they're more kind of like, are they likely to go home and start researching, you know, how did they build the ISS or something like that, that kind of intrinsic motivation. So some interesting findings, but definitely a lot of work that was exploratory to start to figure out what are the types of questions we need to be asking and how do we design the media in a way to support learning in the best way. And we still need a lot more work. I also found a lot of questions are, well, how do we incorporate this into classroom instruction? And how do we work with educators to kind of design things that are going to be most beneficial for their needs? So yeah, it was definitely really challenging also to use in a classroom context. And that was kind of another interesting side of it too. So 
I don't know if that was brief enough for you, but that kind of covers everything in some sense. This was quite brief. Thank you very much. And thank you for sending the dissertation beforehand. When I received it, I opened it and I saw on the first page, there is the list of the people who read it. So I couldn't resist. I wanted to be on the list. And so I started reading it and matches what you're saying. Perfect. So I have a few more specific questions about it, but I will read some part because they are quite convoluted. So get ready. Sure. So this whole thing was to figure out whether or not they report a change in their STEM motivation, right? Mm -hmm. They want to do STEM. In one case, though, a girl reported experiencing so much fear that she couldn't imagine herself going to Antarctica or to the ISS. And so her motivation for STEM eventually declined, right? Am, am I not messing with the fact? I don't know. So the survey measures asked questions like, you know, I'm interested in pursuing STEM. I can see myself doing the types of things that STEM professionals do, scientists, engineers. So I actually, I didn't find declines in that kind of general motivation. A lot of these students have their sights set on engineering careers like mechanical engineering or civil engineering, those types of things, which wasn't directly related to what the experiences were about. You know, we were kind of shadowing engineers per se. But, you know, in terms of their interest in the environments and in the work that these types of scientists do, I had other questions that were about like, oh, I want to visit outer space someday. I want to visit Antarctica someday. And I found that the experiences actually could have a negative impact on that kind of sentiment for exactly the reason that you're pointing out, which is that understanding the complexity and the difficulty of being and working in those environments was actually a bit of a turnoff for some students in terms of, wow, it's actually scarier or more complicated than I thought. And so I actually don't think I want to do that or go there. And so I think that that's a really interesting finding. Like in some ways on an educational application, that's really good. It's actually kind of hard in a school where we decontextualize everything to communicate the actual practical difficulties of doing certain types of work or certain jobs. You know, so something like being an astronaut, it might be important to give people experiences where they can really understand whether or not that's something they want to do without it just being like a pipe dream. On the other hand, I think we need to be careful because if what we do want to do is help people understand and kind of increase their motivation to visit these places or work in these places or do this kind of work, then we may need to scaffold their experience a little bit more so they're not experiencing so much fear or so that they have more opportunity to build skills and build their kind of self-efficacy before they kind of engage in any of these activities. So this is also what I mean when I talk about how I want to get into like the creation of the experiences a little bit more. These VR experiences I used weren't really created for a specific educational purpose. They're kind of in the general like educational entertainment side of things, but they weren't crafted with a specific way of helping learners in mind. And so I think that that is really one interesting thing, though, which is that actually the experiences can be so intense that maybe they might actually turn people off. And I think most people assume, oh, if you do it in VR, people will be engaged. They'll be more excited. They'll want to do it like that. These kind of motivational benefits are a given. And I think that's interesting that they aren't in some ways. So 
But people have asked me recently too also about, well, what if the environments had been less extreme? And I think that that's a really good question, right? So if you're exploring, you know, an environment that's a bit more close to home, like the shores of the ocean near where you live or a forest or something like that, and looking at the work scientists do that isn't so dangerous, could be different. All right. I actually had a different idea, like where where this could go. So she reported so much fear. You're saying like, okay, let's see where we want to go, where the designers of this experience want to go with this. Do they want the the students who try this to be more engaged or do they want to have higher STEM motivation or vice versa? They want to inform them of the dangers, whatever. Do you think it could be actually personalized? Like a person panics when they experience fear. So this is why there is a boundary in VR that doesn't allow them to fall off the cliff. Yeah. And do you know of any examples of such personalized VR experience? It's a great idea. I've seen a couple of things where people are trying to use biometrics, like sensors of your heart rate or your arousal to kind of adapt a VR experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've seen anything so specifically in the learning space as much as like kind of in more the creative side of things maybe. But yeah, it's a really good question, actually. I don't know. I mean, you you would think like if we're making it adaptive and we're kind of incorporating more personalization measures into it, that that should be about adapting to somebody's whole body because you're using your whole body in the experience. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that we can measure. So... Yeah, it's a good idea to think about like if fear is something that we want to minimize, then we can actually maybe measure people's fear responses Mm -hmm. and help adapt the experience. So maybe there's different paths you can take or different activities you can engage in based on like the reaction that you're having. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but I think that's a great idea. And I do think that if we're thinking about making more adaptive experiences, then we need to think about adapting to the full response that VR is giving you, not just like your ability to complete a task or, you know, Mm -hmm. like accomplish a procedure or answer a question or something like that, which is kind of a lot of adaptive technologies for education are those kinds of tutoring systems where depending on which answers you get wrong, it determines what you need to practice more. But here we're talking about engaging really the whole learner. And so it's a good idea to think about like, how do we adapt to the whole learner's experience, their emotions, their motivation, and then their body as well, because they're really using their whole body too. So let's imagine that I'm a strict parent who wants my child to have a career in STEM and really hopes to foster STEM motivation with VR. With the body of research available now, do you think it's a good investment, like a VR helmet for my child? Would you recommend that I purchase I might wait a little bit because I think there isn't enough content yet. I mean, it depends on what kind of resources you have. If you're really trying to decide between different types. Um, it's my last $500. Yeah, I don't know if I would spend my last $500 on it. Not because it can't be powerful, but because you won't find enough experiences, right? So there's a lot of really good videos and certain experiences, but I would say like if you just go on the Oculus store, like let's say you're talking about buying the Oculus Quest, which I think is like three or four hundred dollars, and then you've got another hundred, hundred fifty bucks to spend on apps. I think you'll only really find a handful of apps that are giving your child 
the opportunity. I will also say they're not intended for children under 13. So think about that too. But yeah, I think that the content isn't quite there yet. So unless you're also able to create experiences for your child to be able to explore the types of things you want them to, I might wait a little bit and see, you know, what comes out. And I might instead encourage you to get a lower cost headset that is mostly for videos or even like the Google Cardboard you can put your phone in the front and explore a a platform like KaiXR, which you can also do on a computer or something like that. But really thinking about leveraging the technology only for like these kind of short experiences and then maybe using some of your other dollars for other types of exposure to STEM experiences that give them really hands-on opportunities, maybe to get out in their neighborhood and collect data or to work on citizen science projects or something like that. I still think that there's something to be said for a lot of those other types of experiences or, you know, joining a makerspace where they can experiment with lots of different technologies and applications and things. So encourage your child. But what you'll find is that there's a lot more first person shooter video games than there is anything to do with STEM education. So that's kind of the unfortunate reality we live in right now. Right. Thank you. So we know that in your research, you ask your learners. I used to think, but now I think. I know you will ask that question in your defense as well. So we're just wondering. How would you respond to this prompt? Yeah. Is it okay if I give the same answer as my defense? Because I've actually thought about it a lot. I like that answer. And I think you can give the same one. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So Lydia is right. During my defense, one of my committee members, Jeremy Balenson, asked me this question because I asked my learners that. And I thought about it later because I was like, wow, that's a really good question. Like, what else would I say? And I think going into my dissertation and other studies that I've done, I used to think that the media was just one part of the learning experience. And so we would be able to take this commercially available media as flawed as it is, as I've talked about, and as limited as it is, and create learning experiences around it that would be beneficial and that we'd be able to get everything from it. Or we'd be able to get a lot of interesting learning goals out of it. So I kind of had this like frame of mind of like, I don't need to create new VR. I just need to figure out how we incorporate what's out there into instructional models. And so that was one of the reasons I designed my dissertation the way I did was, okay, let's just find things that any teacher would be able to use if headsets show up in their class. And we'll be studying how that can be used in a classroom. Now, I think that's not quite true, that the design of the media, the tasks that learners are engaged in while they're in it, the purpose of how it was designed really matters. And actually how learners are kind of scaffolded through the experience has a big impact on what they're going to be able to take from it and that there's a lot of limitations to the applications that have been designed without a learning kind of design framework in mind or a specific learning goal in mind and that you can't necessarily just engineer it through the activities that they do around it. And so, yeah, I would say that that was a big learning experience for me and a big motivator to kind of get more engaged in the creation of VR experiences into the future to kind of better think about how do we incorporate really sound learning design into it. And, you know, even things about how do we create experiences that learners are engaging in them multiple times so that they can really make the most of them. I think that that's something that a lot of these more entertainment experiences haven't been created around. So, yeah. I would still say that that answer, it was my first answer when I was asked it. And I think it still holds of probably the most important thing that I kind of learned from this. Surprises me because you and the teacher worked really hard 
together all this like scaffolding and all these experiences around them and then you did them multiple times and so if it didn't work for you it's not going to work for a random teacher who's doing this in addition to all the other work that they already have yeah. so and what i end up seeing more now like visiting schools where they do have technology and where they're using them is that because of that, we're actually getting into the paradigm that we've seen with other technologies, which you mentioned earlier of like, you just end up like with old wine, new bottles, right? Like you just end up doing the same instructional models with new technologies, or you're using a VR experience just for the wow factor or as a reward for students. Like I'm definitely seeing that too, which is like, oh, well, it's the same as like, oh, if you guys are good this week and you do well on your test, we'll watch a video at the end of the week. And there's nothing wrong with what teachers are doing. But when the content isn't there to be able to like actually say this is supporting this learning goal I have in a totally new way, then it does become really hard. It's about choosing the right content, the right learning goals, and there just isn't quite a lot out there yet. And so I think we need a lot more really good development. And then coming back to that question from the beginning too, then in that sense, now is a good time to get into it because there's a lot of opportunity and there isn't a lot out there yet. But I do still think the barrier to entry is high. Some people will figure it out. I hope. I think that there's a lot of people working who aren't out in the front of it or they're not in the media, but there's a lot of really good work going on. And I think it's actually at the right scale. I think these smaller scale initiatives working really hand in hand with educators are the way to go and like kind of experimenting with this over time. I'm actually kind of happy that some of the hype may be falling off so we don't have like a school district who just buys every kid a headset and then no one knows what to do with it. Well, Dr. McGivney, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing about your research. It was fascinating. 